The following message was recorded Wednesday, February 14, 2024. Pastor David shares on what Lent is, its origin, and what it should mean to believers. And now, here's Pastor David. So we have a small group, and uh, let's, uh, you know, we'll treat it as a small group. And I have, whew, so it's the beginning of, <laughs> it's the beginning of Lent, right? And so we're going to, you know, we got information on Lent. And it's also Valentine's Day. So it's like, what do you do? What do you do with a double, you know? Um, and, you know, I was going to try to present some information on on the history of Lent, and then I was going to try to do some information on love, and I think I just decided that that was going to be way too much uh, to try to do that. And so I'm not going to even make an attempt at it. Uh, I'm going to try to go through the history of Lent. Um, some of the things I found, some of the things I found, I think, I think are very interesting. Uh, and so hopefully you'll enjoy it, but it is going to be a lot of information and apologize in advance for not as much uh, reading from the word because there's a lot of history uh, that we're going to go through. And maybe next week, I I believe I'm filling in next week also as pastor is out of town. So we'll go, maybe we'll go through the love part next week. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. All right, so with that, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and our hearts, and one more time, we just ask you for your presence to be among us, and guard our hearts and our minds, Lord. And give us the understanding that is uh, unsearchable and unknowable without you and the leading of your, of your spirit, Lord, in us. So help us to understand, and Lord, to, to help us to love more with a love that only, the only you have, love and the love that you can only give us. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, just pray that we'll turn to you and, and we would be blessed. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So it is, uh, it is um, Ash Wednesday and it is Valentine's Day. And did anybody see Rid Jr.'s post today? Rid Jr.'s post, God Before Government? No? On Realm? You didn't see that today? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I'm, uh, you know what? I thought I thought it'd be interesting to share because he basically tied Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day and, and Ash Wednesday together. So, so I'm going to go through what he wrote and he posted in his God Before Government. And, uh, and then we'll move on into the history of Lent. It says, today is one of the rare occasions when Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day are on the same day. The two celebrations were paired three times in the 20th century in 1923 1934 and 1945. The last time this happened was in 2018, and it will happen again in 2029, which will be the last time for the rest of the century. Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday are both rooted in the power of the gospel. The former Valentine's Day, February 14th, is the day that the Western Church celebrates the life of the Christian martyr, St. Valentine who, according to tradition, was a priest and a physician and was executed in uh, 270 A.D. The latter is the beginning of the 40-day Lenten season, which Christians use as a time of repentance and reflection leading up to the Resurrection Sunday and the celebration of Jesus' victory over sin and death. The origin of Valentine's Day is religion, not romance. Thus, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday go hand in hand. Today, we should take the opportunity to remind people that Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
That's John 15, 13. That's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. He gave his life that we might gain eternal life. John 3, 16, one of the most recognized passages of Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A companion passage, which, which I taught on this past Sunday, is 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. As we begin our Lenten journey this Valentine's Day, I encourage you to focus on Christ, not Cupid. If you don't know what to do for Lent, then use this calendar. He's posted a calendar that I developed over 20 years ago. Back then, I noticed that people needed something to keep them focused each day of Lent. This calendar helped them stay focused in a very practical way. Furthermore, if you complete each of the Sunday readings, you will finish the Gospel of John on Resurrection Sunday. Lastly, Lent is a good reminder of the first principle of God before government, namely, it is God before you govern yourself. During Lent, say no to yourself in order to say yes to God. So I thought that was pretty good and interesting that if you... It's not in there. Okay. thought it was in there. Um, Valentine's Day. I guess it wouldn't be in there because it's not... Never mind. Val Lent times day. So the word Lent is in Valentine's Day. So anyway, I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. But yeah, so Valentine's Day is it's it's about Christ's love for us, right? It's it's not about eros. It's about agape, right? And it's not about you know what is this what is this system we live in try to do? Why do we have all these holidays? <laughs> That's it. All this is the twisting of an arm to try to get you to go out and spend money on stuff you don't need to spend money on uh, for the most part. So we don't want to get caught up in that just like we don't want to get caught up in Christmas, right? And Christmas is about, is about Christ and in, in, in his first incarnation. It's not about buying tons of junk and going in the debt. So, okay. Y'all talk. <laughs> It's not. Pastor Red Jr. has a, a, a web page, a, a ministry, or whatever you want to call it, called God Before Government. Right. Well, that, that was, it came out today. It came out. Okay. You got it? Yeah. Okay. All right, history of Lent. This is Ash Wednesday, and it begins a, a six-week period of Lent. And so what do we know about Lent and its origins, and how does it relate to the Jewish practice of Teshuvah? And I am going to let you know right now there is a whole lot of information here, uh, and I can't take a whole lot of credit for it, okay? So this comes from Christianity.com. It comes from thegoodshepherd.org, and some of it comes from... Let me find the last one that I used. Uh, Theancientbridge.com. All right, so this is where I got a lot of this information. There is so much here, so I have tried to condense it down into, um, I guess, just the, 
the main points uh, and not try to get into the like minute details, uh, but I think it'll give you a pretty good overview. So modern Lent, which is what we do today. Okay, so we're gonna talk about modern Lent first. Uh, modern Lent is one of the uh, two most significant times of the year for the modern Christian church. Uh, those would be Advent, Advent yeah, Advent, which is prior, uh, prior to the birth of Christ, and then this one, Lent, which is prior to the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So Advent focuses on the joyful expectation of Christ's birth, and Lent focuses on the sovereign observance of our shortcomings and sin and a time of self-inspection and repentance. It's a preparation of our minds and our hearts for glorifying Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's a reminder of our need for a Savior. Uh, it's symbolized, you guys all kind of know the symbol, right? It's symbolized by the it's Ash Wednesday. <laughs> it's symbolized by the ash, right? The ash cross that you put on your forehead. Uh, and what is that a symbol of? Ash, ash. Holocaust. Ash, ash. Prior to that, one way before the Holocaust. Humility and and mortality, basically, It's kind of a symbol of our humility and our, our mortality. Uh, and you know, this one says if we don't have a savior, but you know, we're mortal. We're, we're mortal regardless, right? That's our spirit that's immortal. It's not our, our flesh that's, that's immortal. I should correct that. We're all going to be raised. <laughs> and corruption is going to put on incorruption. It's just where you end up. Okay. Um, but, you know, this fleshly body, this tent that we live in is going to... Uh, it's going to perish here. So that's what the symbol is. And the main observance of Lent is... What do we do? What are we supposed to do during Lent? And fast, right? There's the, the fasting. Yeah, so the fasting that is there. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pry, but you know, I know how this is because Pastor Ritt does it all the time, and you're like, we don't know what you're shooting for. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and so, so the, the 40 days, so it's a 40-day, the Lenten period is 40 days, right? And it's a six-week season beginning on Ash Wednesday prior to the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. So how many days are in a week? And how many weeks did I just say? And if you do six times seven, you get 42. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Uh, so how do we get 40? You take out the Sundays of the six weeks. That would be 38. No, not 38. 36. So that ends up 36. So what do we have to do to get it back to 40? Add four days. We started on Wednesday. <laughs> we had four days. <laughs> so interesting, but that's basically how it works. Okay. So it's a 40-day um, a, a fast. That's how it worked. You had a 40-day fast over six weeks, uh, but you have 42 days. And if you don't fast on the Sundays, because Sunday is supposed to be a free day, you take out those six, six days and you end up with 36 and you go, go back to Wednesday and add those four days back in and you get the 40. So kind of interesting, but that's just the way it is. Um, the significance of the 40 days is based on several scriptures, uh, the uh, 40 days and the 40 nights of the flood, 
Uh, there's a 40-year wilderness wandering. Uh, Moses' 40-day fast on Mount Sinai, Elijah's 40-day fast, and most significantly, Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness and then his temptation. That's the one uh, that we're going to come back to because that's really the one that I think is, you know, the most interesting one um, that's going to tie in what I'm going to get to is this is the modern Lent. We're going to get to what the historic Lent is and, and the biblical Lent. Okay. Um, so we get into this problem of this period of Lenten season. Um, you know, the 40 days, the 40 days of fasting. Uh, you know, when we look at these biblical examples that I just talked about, did they get Sundays off? No, no they didn't. So that just doesn't really, you know, that doesn't jibe with with the biblical uh, description of 40 days. I mean, you know, when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, he didn't, he didn't get to cheat on, he didn't get to cheat on Sunday, you know, so, um, so there are some, you know, things there that are, you know, a little odd. Um, they didn't get the 40 day, it, they were definitely 40 contiguous day fasts. Uh, and were they total fasts or were they partial fasts for the, for these biblical examples? I would imagine they were total fast. So we don't do a total fast in modern Lent. We will do, you know, you're going to give up something, you know, and replace it with something else. And typically, uh, you know, some churches, well, you're going to fast meat or you're going to fast dairy or you're going to fast both of them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the 40-day the fasts in the Bible were 40-day complete fasts. They were miraculous fasts, okay? Um, and then, the, and then the question, which I want to tie back into Jesus's 40-day fast in the wilderness, is the question of are we even practicing it at the correct time of year? Okay. And this is going to go to the feast days, or the Israel's feast days. This is where we're going to end up heading to. So the answer to that is no, we are not practicing it at the right time of year. All right. Um, but here's the thing. Um, and if you were here for Pastor Rich teaching on Christmas this past year, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard it before. Are we celebrating Christmas at the right time of year? No, no we're not. We know we're not celebrating Christmas on the right time of year. And, you know, we're. We, if we go again to these biblical feasts that go throughout, you know, the, the scriptures um, and the fact that, um, you know, the sign was that there's going to be a child born of a virgin and virgin and his name is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And we already have the <laughs> biblical example of God being with them through the wilderness. Well, is God going to be with us again? Yeah. On. The Feast of Tabernacles. So Christmas should probably most likely, or Jesus' birth should probably be, you know, is most likely sometime in around the fall during the Feast of Tabernacles. So, you know, we have things that have been, been skewed a little bit, probably on the dates of when they should have really occurred. But does that mean that we don't celebrate Christmas? No, we still celebrate Christmas. We recognize that there's some, you know, some shifting of probably when it really occurred. Um, but that doesn't mean that we still, you know, we don't celebrate that God gave his only begotten son for us, right? So, so we can get over that. That's not, that's not a deal killer, okay? That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, and, and I'm going to try to tie this together at the very end anyways, um, this discrepancy between the time frames. Uh, so now the history of Lent. 
there's, we, can, we can divide, there's Eastern and Western Orthodox churches, if we go way back, okay. The Eastern Orthodox Church had a three-segmented period for Lent. What, it was called the pre-Lenten period, and then they had the 40 days of the Great Fast, and then they had the Holy and Great Week. All right, so these are the three periods, and I'm, I'm going to skip over a lot of this because I don't want to get into the details. But basically, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the most important thing for them was the 40-day fast. All right, and the 40-day fast is mentioned in, in sources from the first half of the 4th century. All right, so this goes way back. All right, the 40-day fast goes all the way back to the, you know, the first half of the fourth century would be the 300s. Yeah, so 350-ish, before 350-ish. Okay, so and keep that in mind because we're going we're gonna to get back to that. So the 40-day fast is mentioned in sources from, and this is the Eastern Orthodox Church, in the first half of the fourth century. Okay, there is now a Pascal fast in the second and third centuries. That was before this 40-day fast that is documented as far back as the 300, 350s, okay? A Pascal fast in the second and third centuries. So that means in the hundreds and the two hundreds, all right? So this is how far back this all goes back. So it was in the second century, it was custom, customary for Christians in both the East and the West to observe immediately before Resurrection Sunday a short fast of one or two days, either on Saturday only or on Friday and Saturday together. This was specifically a Pascal fast. What does that mean? We're passing, we're, we're, we're having a fast recognizing Passover. Okay, this is a Passover celebration, Passover fast. Um, this was specifically a Pascal fast in preparation for the service of Resurrection Sunday night. They're using the word Easter here, but I'm going I'm to say it. Resurrection Sunday. Um, preparation for the service of Resurrection Sunday night. It was a fast of sorrow and absence at the absence of the bridegroom in fulfillment of Christ's own words. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and they shall fast in those days. That's Mark 2.20. The fast, whether it was one or two days, was in principle a total fast without any food or drink uh, being taken at all. And, um, yeah, and again, today, sometimes the fast is only abstinence from animal or dairy products. A total fast is sometime undertaken on Good Friday, total fast, if, it, if your health permits is basically what it says. All right, so 40-day so fast, back as far as 350. When you get into hundreds, 200s, it's more of a one or two day fast that people were practicing right before Resurrection Sunday. All right, that's where we're at right now. By the middle of the third century, so now we're in the 200s, middle 200s, the Pascal fast had in many places been extended to embrace the entire week from Monday to Saturday. Now, if we're bringing this to Passover Resurrection, what do you think that's all about? We got now, we just went to six weeks, six days. Passion week. Okay? So they're basically now, they've basically extended this to a six-day uh, period of time that is from uh, the triumphal entry all the way up to 
the Saturday night. All right. Uh, there was, it says, there was, however, no uniformity of the practice, and some Christians fasted for less than the full six days. And the six-day Pascal fast uh, may be seen, uh, well, okay, here it is, the distant origins of the Holy Week, but the developed ritual to which we are accustomed to the 40-day is not found until the late 4th century. All right? The fast of 40 days. There is no evidence for a 40-day fast in what is called the pre-Niacene period. All right, the pre-Niacene period is um, basically when the Niacene Council was held, and that was 325. So we're again right in line with the 350-ish, right? So prior to that time, there really isn't any indication of a 40-day fast. And so, but from the, pre, from the Niacene Council on, we start to see this emergence of the 40-day fast. Um, the, it's a little history on the Nicene Council. There was councils that were held throughout our history by the church for different reasons. Uh, the one in particular that you probably can remember from here, the Jerusalem Council, was held because of what? Circumcision. Circumcision or the law. Do Christians have to keep the law? You know, and they answered that question in the, in the Jerusalem conference. Well, the Nicene conference also is trying to refute another heresy. So if we go back again into the 100s, um, this is when the Apostles' Creed kind of came about, okay? And the Apostles' Creed is, you know, and we say it every Sunday, so you know the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed somewhat emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, all right? Well, somewhere in this period of time from that Apostles' Creed to this Nicene time, where the Nicene Council was in, in 325, there was this heresy that came about that said, okay, well, Jesus was human. He was not God. He wasn't divine. All right, and so now the, the, the Nicene Council got together, and they actually wrote the Nicene Creed, which very specifically says Jesus is God. Okay, so it has some similarities to the Apostles' Creed, but it really emphasizes the deity of Christ. All right, I say all that to say this. Uh, in, during the Nicene Council, uh, there is references to the 40-day fast. All right, so we know by that period of time, the 40-day fast had already been implemented. And, and the references that are in the Nicene Council don't, they, they both, they're not referencing the 40-day fast as something that they discussed that need to be implemented. It's discussed as something that is already occurring. All right, so we already know that this 40-day fast is now occurring sometime in the 300s. All right, okay? <laughs> you with me? <laughs> I hope this is interesting to you. <laughs> okay. Um, the 40-day fast found in evidence from the 4th century onward differs somewhat in scope and character from the one-week fast of the pre-Niacene period, and the precise relationship uh, can be a little difficult to you know, determine or fit together. Um, however, it is clear that whereas the pre-Niacene fast was specifically a Paschal observance of preparation for Resurrection Sunday, it's two, two or six day preparation for um, Resurrection Sunday. The 40 day fast was connected more particularly with the final preparation for candidates to receive the sacrament of baptism. All right. 
You got me here? So we got this two-day or six-day fast that was going on that was people were, were um, practicing 100, 200-ish, and they were practicing it in observance of resurrection, the coming Resurrection Sunday. This 40-day fast, however, was being practiced by um, believers or new believers that are, are preparing themselves to, for baptism. So they, they actually had a little more of a requirement. They didn't, like, you want to get baptized? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so they actually went through more of a process where, where people were being trained and they were going through, you know, an exercise and, and, and um, some disciplines um, prior to their, their baptism. And that's what the 40-day fast was primarily practiced by those people. All right? Okay. Um, In the weeks before the baptism, the candidates underwent a period of intensive training with daily instruction, special services, and fasting. The existing members of the church community were encouraged to share with the candidates in this prayer and abstinence, thus renewing year by year their baptismal dedication to Christ. So the 40-day fast came to involve the whole body of Christ. Uh, and not just those who are getting baptized. So now you start to see how this is starting to weave itself together. So, um, so now you have a group of people who are doing a one or two day fast that are um, doing it for preparing for Resurrection Sunday. And you have a group of people who are doing a 40 day fast that are doing it in preparation for their baptism. All right. Lent as we know it is thus a result of the convergence between the two elements, between the six-day pre-Nicene fast, which was directly in preparation for Resurrection Sunday, and the 40-day post-Nicene fast, which was originally formed uh, part of the training for candidates for baptism. And it was natural that the two elements should come together and fuse into one observance because they had the same endpoint. All right? Now, if you... We'll go to Romans chapter 6. We'll try to get a little scripture in here. (laughs) Romans chapter 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be united together in the likeness of his resurrection. So when do you think this early church was practicing baptism? Based on this right here. Death, burial, and resurrection. They were practicing their (laughs) baptismal periods on Resurrection Sunday. All right? Because it was, they are identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
So this 40-day fast was 40 days prior to that. So now you have this group of people that are performing a 40-day fast, 40 days before the resurrection, and another group of people that were prior to that were performing a, a two- or six-day fast prior to resurrection. They got, ended up getting fused together, and this is basically where we ended up with our modern-day Lent. Okay? That, I thought that was kind of neat because it, it kind of, okay, now I get that now. Now that kind of makes sense, you know? So this is where it originated from. Um, <coughs> Yeah, so the baptism for this sacrament is precisely an in initiation into the Lord's cross and his resurrection. All right, I am going to skip a whole bunch here. And let me keep going. All right. The more probable origination of Lent, the 40 days of Teshuvah and the temptation of the Messiah. So Lent, obviously probably had its original origins in Teshuva. Okay? So this was a, a Jewish practice. Um, and now the Jews would do pretty much everything surrounding the feast days. Okay? So they had, they had all these different rituals and things they had to go through that, that surrounded the feast days. So we had Passover. We had unleavened bread. We had first fruits. Pentecost. Rosh Hashanah or trumpets, Yom Kippur, and tabernacles. Okay, so seven, seven, seven. <laughs> seven. <laughs> seven, uh, seven feasts. Um, and they all commemorated something, right? Passover commemorated Exodus from Egypt and, and the the death of the firstborn, okay? Um, and then we had uh, the taking away of sin, right? Unleavened bread. And we have the resurrection, first fruits. Jesus fulfilled all these, right? And then we had Pentecost, which was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, right? And that commemorated. Back, back. What? It commemorated the 40. Uh, yeah, the giving of the law. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so I commemorated that. So the, the pouring out of the law or now pouring out of the spirit. Uh, and, then, and then we have some feasts that are still kind of lingering out there. And we have Rosh Hashanah, trumpets, okay? And we call it trumpets, okay? Rosh Hashanah. And then we have Yom Kippur. And who, who is the Day of Atonement? Now, who do you think is going to be celebrating this Day of Atonement feast or solemn day? Jews, of course. This is, this is a Jewish holiday, right? This is, our, this is a Jewish feast, I guess. It's not really a celebratory thing. Um, but here, yeah, so, so this Day of Atonement is pretty much specifically for the Jew. Uh, and then, of course, then we have the tabernacles, and we remember that has to do with God tabernacling through the 40 years in the wilderness wandering. And we look forward to the future fulfillment of that when Christ returns back onto the earth and he has his millennial reign, Okay. So all these things have some sort of um, association with these biblical feasts, including Teshuvah, all right? Um, and so you remember God's feast days calendar. Will Jesus fulfill these feasts? Of course, he'll fulfill these feasts. So we have to interpret a lot of what we see in the Bible from the Jewish perspective, right? Um, 
The Jewish, or the, yeah, the Jewish Gospels of Matthew through John, as well as the epistles and especially Revelation, are filled with references to the Jewish eschatological beliefs of the first century. And, and the, this gets a little confusing here, but we're going to talk about the trumpets because we just said Rosh Hashanah is known as the Feast of Trumpets, right? And what happens on the Feast of Trumpets? There's, there's, I mean, they're blowing trumpets, right? I mean, there's trumpets that are being blown during, during Rosh Hashanah, obviously. Um, but there's also trumpets that are blown at other times. And so there, what this author is saying is that there's a confusion to some extent over what all these trumpet blows mean and where do they fall, okay? And a lot of times, uh, some of the confusion can be like, well, we are interpreting that trumpet to be during this feast when it has nothing to do with that feast. It has to do with this other feast, okay? And so what he, basically what he's getting at is that a lot of times some of these trumpet things that we see, trumpet calls that we see throughout the scripture, a lot of people lump them all into Rosh Hashanah, okay? Because of the Feast of Trumpets, when, when these trumpets aren't associated, with, there's one particular trumpet that is not associated with Rosh Hashanah, all right? So I'm going to read this because it... it it can be a little, I had to read it over and over because it was a little confusing. The last trumpet referenced over and over again in Jewish writings as being the last trumpet blown in the Rosh Hashanah temple ceremony becomes simply a random blast from heaven calling home the elect. And the great trumpet of Yom Kippur gets lumped in with the seventh trumpet of Revelation or with the Feast of Trumpets, last trumpet of Rosh Hashanah, as though they were all one and the same. And it says, whole theology, theologies have been sprung up in Christianity, Messianic Judaism, and in Hebrew roots, in the Hebrew roots movement that utterly ignore the context that we find throughout the Hebrew scriptures and the extra-biblical Second Temple writings. In any event, the more you look at these things associated with the feasts, um, which are witness to the prayers and the songs offered up to God during his feast, the more you see the language showing up in the Gospels and the, and the epistles that Yeshua, Jesus himself, makes repeated positive references to many of the rituals practiced during the feast pointed directly to himself. You get all that? So a lot of the stuff that we kind of are confusing and blurring lines, they aren't all the same thing, yet Jesus referred to them all to himself. All right? So, in specific, we're talking about this trumpet blow now. The first month, or the first day of the month of Elu, or Elu, begins the 40 days of a corporate national repentance leading up to Yom Kippur. Okay, and this is based on a practice in the book of Haggai, Haggai, where God is continually telling them to consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways. Okay. Um, this all starts on the first day of the sixth month, which is Elu. Um, but then the question is, do we see a 40-day episode at the beginning of the ministry of the Messiah that is very important? And then it's after his baptism in the Jordan, Jordan, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days. We all know this, right? And then he comes out after a 40-day fast, and he is he's tempted. He's tempted by the devil. Um, after his baptism, he's led into the door for everybody. And this is a, this is a good, uh, it's, see, a good way to put this. 
Although many Jewish writings in the Second Temple period propose that Messiah will come on Yom Turah, which is the days when kings were the day when kings were coronated, Yeshua himself, Jesus himself, that he would return to Jerusalem and reign on Yom Kippur. All right, and he's, he goes into Matthew 24 when he says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet on Yom Kippur, <laughs> a loud trumpet on Yom Kippur. And he will gather together his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of heaven into the other. All right, so, so we got this loud trumpet that's being blown on Yom Kippur when Jesus is going to gather together his people from the four winds from all around the earth, okay? Now, this, you can kind of start to, picture, if you go into Zechariah chapter 12, what's going to happen? He's going to, he's calling them back. He's calling back the Jewish people back to him, right? And it says, they will look upon him who they have pierced and they will mourn. They're going to mourn to repentance. Yom Kippur, they're going to finally get it because Jesus is coming back on Yom Kippur. All right? Now, here's a very interesting thing. We see Jesus' ministry being initiated with what? Baptism by John. John the Baptist baptizes John. And, and we, a lot of times, we relate that because John recorded in our scriptures, says, Behold the Lamb of God. And we all now picture Lamb of God with Jesus. Passover, right? We, we all we kind of associate the Lamb of God with Passover. But that wasn't the time of year it was. It was 40 days before Yom Kippur. So Jesus initiated his ministry, his earthly ministry, 40 days he goes into and he fasts for 40 days. And then he comes out and he goes through his temptation on Yom Kippur. Isn't that interesting? I, I found that to be fascinating. So, so that is now where Teshuvah finds its, its roots. Okay, this is why they practiced that. They pra Teshuvah was practiced 40 days before Yom Kippur because they literally believed the Messiah is coming. <laughs> okay, this is when the Messiah is coming on Yom Kippur. How do you miss this? I don't know. How did they miss it with him? You know, because that's when he came. He came on Yom Kippur and they got to know the scriptures. They're going to look upon him who, who they pierced which is going to be on Yom Kippur, and that's going to be the restoration. So, so you got this trumpet, or you got these trumpets that get blown not very long before Yom Kippur, right? Ten days, right? Ten days before Yom Kippur, and we believe that to be a fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets and 
in the rapture. So you got these trumpets that are blown. We believe that will be the, the rapture of the believing church. And then after that, Yom Kippur and the Jews are restored. And then after Jesus restores the Jewish people on Yom Kippur, fulfillment of Yom Kippur, he then sits up as millennial reign. And those last three feasts are completed all right there. I thought, I thought that was really pretty neat. I mean, it's like, okay, wow. So, you know, now Lent might look a little different to you. <laughs> you know, this is why we do this. We're, we're celebrating our Messiah, you know? And, and so, yeah, maybe we got the date wrong. But here, here's the thing I started thinking about. Maybe we got the time of year wrong. But Yom Kippur, as I asked, and you answered, Yom Kippur was for who? The for the Jews. So you wouldn't really think that the Gentile church or the ecclesia would really embrace that period of time that much because they know it wasn't for them. It's for the Jews. But they wanted to practice a similar thing. And where Yom Kippur is probably one of the most important days for the Jewish people, the Jewish, you know, the restoration into, into their chosen peoplehood or whatever, you know, when, when they are restored, when the Jewish people are restored. Well, we look back to what? We look back to resurrection. And so you see, it's very natural that we might take this and go, well, we completely understand that. But Jesus did that for us too. But we're going to take it back here. And now we're going to celebrate it back here. And so it's the exact same thing. It's Teshuva in the spring. I mean, basically, right? It's Teshuva in the spring. So that's all I'll stop. It's 8 o'clock, and we do have Brian and Denise coming over to our house, so we, we need to get home. But, um, but it is Valentine's Day. And, and, you know, we love because he first loved us, right? And he showed his love for us in his death burial and resurrection and he did it for everybody he did it for the Jew as well but the Jew's not going to recognize it until Yom Kippur but the end game is the same we are all looking to Jesus for the restoration and our eternal redemption right and because of that because we can recognize what he did for us we should love just as he loved us the real Valentine Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you. You have blessed us, and you are so good. And we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, just melt our hearts and, and draw us to you, Lord. And as we look to this period of time, these 40 days, may it not just be a piece of chocolate or ice cream. Lord, may, may there be some spiritual significance where, where we are changed, truly deep down on the inside, Lord, something that we will set aside that maybe hinders us and that we'll replace it with something that is spiritual, good, and beneficial to us. And at the end of the day, at the end of the, the time, Lord, when we celebrate the greatest gift ever given to man, Lord, that we will be changed people. And ultimately, as we sojourn through this life, Lord, that we will look more and more like you, that we will look more and more like the love of Christ. We desperately need it, desperately need it. There is a world out there that is dying and needs to know your love. 
Uh, we just pray that it would be rightly shown through your people. Thank you, Lord. Bless us as we depart from here tonight. Jesus, keep us safe as we travel. And we look forward, Lord, to, to the coming events of this weekend. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.